Hi guys, it's nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me, and it's, uh, it's, it's really lovely to be here. I, I looked in your little brochure, there, your 40 days of prayer brochure, and I noticed I don't have any hair. Now, I just need to explain, I haven't had a hair transplant, I'm not vain in any way, shape or form, but I shaved my head for 20 years, and then at the beginning of this year I realised, listen Brian, you're 47, you can't hide the grey anymore. You know, and there's loads of people who kind of were going, you're bald, you're bald. And I, and I wanted to prove them, I'm not bald. I can go there. I've got the hair. I can, I can do this thing. So that's, I am the same person in the brochure, just so you know. I'm not, not an imposter. And it's, it, is a real, it is a real privilege to be here. You know, it was, it was Arthur Wallace who once said that every great revival that has ever broken out was born out of prayer, was sustained by prayer, and brought forth prayer. And so whenever you see a church that is praying and is committed to praying, we start to see transformation. We start to see lives changed and nations changed and families changed and schools changed and hospitals changed. That whenever the church hits its knees, there is always transformation, always. And so I, and I'm convinced about that. So that's what I'm here to talk to you about, prayer. I, I might get a little bit excited about it, but I'm sure you'll understand. I'm, if you don't understand my accent, I'm, I've lived in Spain, I've lived in England, but I'm originally from Belfast in Northern Ireland. And uh, don't hold that against me. My dad moved over here when, we were, when I was about 10 years old, or 8 years old, actually, to help evangelise the English. And uh, he's... <laughs> He's, a, he's still trying, and he's, a, he's a, Baptist, a Baptist minister. And I just, I think probably the best thing to do would be to give you a little bit of sense of my story, uh, about what I'm involved with, uh, because the reality is that sometimes you can, you can have your nose to the grindstone, you can be trying to make it happen, you, you're working hard at trying to see God's kingdom come where you are and what you're doing. Sometimes it's good to hear that God is actually very active in the world right now, and there's a lot of really great things happening. I, as I said, I was a I was a Irish kid who moved to England when I was 11. My mother died of ovarian cancer. I ended up, I really struggled with that. I walked away from my faith. I, I went to prison uh, four times as a boy. So when I, from from 18 to 20, my dad never stopped praying for me, and uh, I really believe in the power of a persevering prayer, parent who doesn't give up praying for their children. And uh, I, I came back to faith, like in, when I was about 21, I joined the church from prison, and within six months, this was back in the 90s, right, I was a children's worker, so it was kind of cool, I went from, I was armed robbery, violent, violent behaviour, threatening behaviour, fraud, deception, but the church welcomed me in, okay? And eventually I became the youth worker, and eventually I became the senior pastor, so I really do believe in the restorative power of community. People should be able to come into a church broken and they should feel the restoration not only of Jesus Christ, not only of the Holy Spirit at work, not only the Father's love, but the embrace of the community. You were not meant to do this on your own. No one was. I can't understand people who say, oh, I'm okay with God, it's just church. I'm sorry, God's not okay with that. You know, so I'm passionate about the bride of Jesus Christ. I'm passionate about communities like yourself all around the world, opening their arms to people and bringing people in and seeing people made whole because it happened to me. And so along the way, I, I 
as a senior pastor back in 2000, I got involved with an organization called 24-7 Prayer, which isn't really an organization. It was more like God sneezed and something happened and we caught the virus. A friend of mine thought, wouldn't it be good if I could get my church to pray for 24-7, a week, 24 hours, seven days. That's a simple 24-7, that's exactly what it means. And he was really inspired by this and we were at a conference together and then he was like, wouldn't it be good if we could see if we could do a year of 24-7 prayer? If different churches put their hand up and it was like a baton, a relay, we passed it on and we did this kind of year of non-stop prayer. We were really inspired by Count Ludwig von Zinzendorf from Hernhut in Germany and the, the, the Moravian revival. And he, he kicked off a hundred-year prayer meeting. We thought if he could do a hundred years, let's try and do a year. And all of a sudden, I, I mean this literally, it was like God sneezed because there was this, it went viral. And before you knew it, we, we, were in, we saw 24-7 prayer rooms in 122 different nations in the world. And... and and people were just doing this non-stop. Just last month alone, in one week, we had 155 24-7 prayer rooms taking place. That's two years worth of prayer in a week. And we started to see the church. You know, we, there was a church in America who were praying 24-7 and their senior pastor had just failed morally and the church was broken. And they went to the place of prayer and suddenly there was a whole renewal in the church and growth and evangelism and all sorts of things started to happen as the church got serious about praying. We had some guys contact us and they said, we work in a brewery in Missouri. Right, you can't make this stuff up. Honestly, you can't. And we, we want to run a prayer room in our brewery. And we were like, yeah, okay. You know what I mean? God's there. God's everywhere. It says on the island of Iona on a, on a gravestone, it says, bidden or not bidden, God is present. God is, you know, so God's there. So we still go for it. We had, then we had other people saying, uh, we, we're on a battleship in Kuwait. Do you mind if we uh, have a prayer room on our battleship? We went, yeah, go for it. We, it wasn't like we, we didn't hold the rights to it. We were just like, yeah, we can help you. Of course, we'd love to see you pray. And so we saw this whole thing really grow and the church start increasing to pray and it's it's been a marvellous adventure of the church hitting its knees and stuff happening in fact back in in 2002 the the Daily Mail wrote an article not that we read anyway uh, there was an article in, in a paper and it said it said Ibiza is like Sodom and Gomorrah this is Ibiza in Spain had more pubs clubs and bars per square mile than anywhere else in Europe it was, it was renowned for all sorts of depravity and immorality, drunkenness, drug use, prostitution, all of that. And, and we were praying that God would change our generation, that God would touch them. And most of this was carried out by 18 to 25-year-old Brits going to Ibiza in Spain. So we sent teams there to pray. Because we thought, you know, sometimes you're the answer to your own prayers. And so we decided we would go to these places and pray. And we went and we started visiting and we started praying and we started walking about and then we realised that unless someone actually moved there permanently, we were just going to be visitors and God's called us to be builders. We didn't just want to visit the island and be like everybody else, we wanted to move in and we wanted to see God at work there. So in 2005, my wife and I felt God call us to Ibiza and we moved with our two young sons to Sodom and Gomorrah. And because uh, everyone would always go, oh yes, yeah, you're, you're going to be for lovely, lovely, you know, do you know what I mean? Like Mediterranean Island, I've got to take a sip of this. 
brilliant. And so we moved. We didn't have any money. 24-7 prayer doesn't pay people. We were kind of, do you know what I mean? It was like, I remember the day we left, I stood up and resigned as the pastor. Well, I resigned with the elders. I didn't surprise them from the, the pulpit on a Sunday. And I, I, when time we told the church we were leaving, I had managed to raise £35 a month worth of support. And my, and my wife was an accountant. And, I was, and so we had... I don't know what was going on. She, she had to stop looking in the end because it affected her faith, if you know what I mean. And, and we, moved, we moved to Ibiza. And it was a real incredible adventure of God at work through prayer and mission. Because you see, here's the deal. You can't separate prayer from mission. If everybody breathes in, we need to breathe out, yeah? Breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. And you see, this is what happens, that we breathe God in in the place of prayer. We enter into his presence and we connect with the divine and we say, come Holy Spirit. We turn up on Sundays and we worship and his presence is here and we feel him in the room and we feel him in our hearts and we hear him through the word and we're allowing him to come and interact with us and touch us. And prayer is like that. But that's just breathing in. Because in the end, we have to breathe out. We have to take what God has done in us and carry it to those around us who don't yet know him and communicate his love to those that we work with, to those that we hang out with, to those that we spend time with. But sometimes if we, I've seen Christians, and I've been one of them, who's just been an activist, just running around trying to breathe out, breathe out, breathe out, change the world. And do you know what happens? They faint. If you just breathe out, breathe out, breathe out, you faint. And if you just breathe in, breathe in, breathe in, something similar happens. I don't know if you faint, but I think, well, let's not try it, okay? Here's a different analogy on that one. Every sponge that soaks needs to be squeezed. So, you know, so, yes, good soaking's good, but you need to squeeze the sponge. You just leave the water lying in a sponge. Have you ever done that? Left the water in a sponge after you've washed the car, and then you've gone out about two weeks later, and you've squeezed the sponge. It's stagnant. It's stagnant. So every, you know, it needs squeezing. So there's this sense of prayer and mission, breathing in, breathing out. And we went to Ibiza to do that. And what we thought we'd do, we'd walk around the streets. There'd be like this, this San Antonio, most clubs, pubs and bars per square mile in all of Europe. So we would walk the streets. We'd go up to people and say, hi, hi I'm a Christian. Do you mind if I pray with you? And people, I was so nervous. Do you understand? I, I look confident, and I, but I'm not really super confident because we don't find our confidence in ourselves, do we? It's better to remind yourself you're weak and he is the one who gives us confidence, yeah? A lot of the time I think as a Christian I spend is just getting over myself, stepping over myself, stepping into him, walking out into the water, taking the coat off, going deeper in him. And when we do that, God meets us. So there we are on the streets of San Antonio going up to random strangers and saying, hi, I'm a Christian, do you mind if I pray with you? And the first summer, we found that a thousand people said, yes, yes, you can pray with me. In fact, one day, I, we were on the streets and there was three guys, Spider-Man, Batman, Superman. Right? They were on a stag do. And I went, guys, because we, we want God to bless marriage, don't we? So, uh, guys, do you mind if I pray for you? And they went, yeah, I'd love to. So I'm standing there. You've got to remember, the most pubs, clubs and bars per square mile in all of Europe. And I shut my eyes and I look and all three of them are kneeling so I end up kneeling in the street with these three guys. 
And when they get up, Spider-Man was crying. Like, I always knew he was the weakest superhero, as it were. But, but there, there was this, no, sorry, Lord, I, you were at work in his life. I made a cheap joke out of that. No, the, the, and God was all of a sudden turning up and working in people's lives. And we started taking people home in a vomit van because they were getting drunk and falling over. And we can't just pray for people. You need to get them home, get them to safety. We were, look, we were working with uh, West African prostitutes. We were doing all sorts of things. And because this is where prayer takes us. It should take us out into the wilds. It should take us out into the world that so desperately needs us. Because I think somewhere along the line, we've kind of partitioned prayer off as the gentle, passive thing that people do. But prayer is the most exciting, innovative, active thing that you can ever take part in. It's communicating with the Father. It's touching him. It's hearing his voice. And that will always propel you out. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but God loves broken people. God loves lost people. Why? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believeth in him. You know, this is God. He loves people. So when we talk to him, inevitably, we get pushed out. Problem is, a lot of the time of our prayer, my prayer life used to be like a shopping list. I believe in intercession. I believe in regular petition. But I want to have a conversation. I want to get to know him. I want to get to know the king. I don't just want to be busy doing the king's business without really knowing the king. And so we tap into this and God pushes us out into there. And we kind of live in this place, don't we, of prayer and mission. Anywhere around the world where God is at work right now, there's a praying and a missional element to it. So, sorry, I'm, are you with me? I have got Bible verses and stuff. I just wanted to inspire you. If that's a, The Bible verses do inspire you as well. And I, even as I was praying about coming here, I just felt last night, or actually this morning, this little, the Bible is full of lives interrupted. And God wants to divinely interrupt our lives I, I could tell you more about it for I hope I've whet your appetite I have written a little book about it and that wasn't a big sales pitch but if I'm going to get through my talk you're going to have to read the book and I'm going to have to stop talking it's at the back somewhere isn't it we're selling them really cheap you, you know, anyway there done that uh, so the Bible is full of lives interrupted of men and women who connected with God and he did something he interrupted their lives and transformed who they were we see many examples of this throughout scripture Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Gideon, David, Isaiah, Mary they didn't always expect it but how they responded when it came was really important how we respond whenever God comes and interrupts our lives God interrupted Tracy in my life you know, and we ended up moving to Ibiza and doing something really strange and wonderful. But I wasn't, do you know what? I, I sometimes just worry a little bit about the, what's the will of God for your life? Well, what are you good at? You know, and I, because that's, that's a good thing. If it, you know, choose something you're good at and God will bless that. But what about when Christ was in the garden and he said, but not my will, your will be done. Sometimes the, the, the request that God is going to lay before you, you might think, I'm not good at that. I, don't, I can't. Ibiza's a party island. I can't dance. I don't like dance music. I do now, actually. I, I'm like, do you know what I mean? I get threatened in, in club and pub environments because of my past, because I know how bad it can all go. One of the reasons I ended up in prison was I accidentally headed, headbutted a policeman in a bar fight. So I don't like bars, you know, and all of that. But God, God sometimes knows better than we know. Sometimes God knows where you're going to thrive better than you know. 
And so you just got to watch that. That if, if oh, I wouldn't enjoy that. Can't be God. Well, you don't know. He's God. You're not. Do you know what I mean? So sometimes God wants to speak and to push us out of our comfort stones. You think about Peter in Acts 10. You know, he's up there after, about noon the following day as they were on their journey. These are the Cornelius' people. Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has called that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of this vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Here's a man who was up on a roof praying and God divinely interrupted his life. In fact, godly, God divinely interrupted the course of church history through that one little interaction because up to that point, the faith was Jewish and they were working it out amongst Jews and there was, the only concept they had was that this would work, be worked out within the context of the people and the children of Israel. And so Peter's on a roof praying and this is no small revelation this isn't just a quirky little story that we read in the Bible. This is the story that is why we're here. You know, it's, it's, this is the man responding to the divine interruption. He's up on the roof. And the, 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 the interesting stuff is this. It says, do not hesitate to go with them, the Spirit said. And I think sometimes we just hesitate. Should I pray for that person? Should I do, should, you, do you know what I mean? Should, uh, uh, they share something and we can't, oh, that's really bad. I'm so sorry to hear that. I'm sorry about your uncle. What if we said, you know, you know, I'm a Christian. Do you mind if I pray for you? What if we didn't hesitate? What if we lived a life with a little less hesitation and a little bit more risk-taking? In Romans 12, Paul says, therefore do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. I know that one of the patterns of this world is health and safety. And if you work your... No, but seriously. And I, my, my children go on a rock climbing course. You know, I want someone to have done a safety check. Yeah. I took my little nephew out this week and he went on a rope swing. He swung out and I was meant to check the wood that he hung and it snapped. And thankfully I was testing the slow-mo on my camera at the time and it was a really great moment. But I didn't, and he fell. And, uh, <laughs> and I sent it to his, his mum. And anyway, I said, he's okay. Uh, but Peter had never got out of the boat, would he? If they had had a health and safety check, would he? Oh, hang on, H2O. Does that support man? No, it doesn't. Do you understand? And so we hesitate. And sometimes it's don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. We kind of got all these externals, but it's these subtle ways of thinking where it kind of nullifies faith. It nullifies trust. It nullifies us taking risks. God is looking for risk takers. And that doesn't sound comfortable anymore because we're in a health and safety. Ooh, don't. Don't make a mistake. Do you know Catherine Booth, who was married to William Booth, she said this, if we are to better the future, we must disturb the present. If we are to better the future, we must disturb the present. And I believe that God would want to disturb our present. 
that God would want to disturb our present in order that we would be people like Peter who when we hear the spirit, when we hear God move, we don't hesitate. We don't hesitate. That we go, that we respond to those around us. All of this comes from a place of intimacy and it also comes from a desire to be involved. You know, I look throughout the Bible and if you, you look at King David in 1 Chronicles 17, it said David went in and sat before the Lord. In Psalm 37, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Psalm 46, verse 10, we all know it. The Franciscans call it the gateway to Bible reading. Be still and know that I am God. We see one of the most action-packed kings of the Bible, one of the most adventurous, giant-slaying, city-taking, battling kings in the Bible be still, be still. He went and he sat and he waited. So we see intimacy and then we see a man who was incredibly involved, who didn't hesitate. We look at Jesus who was incredibly <laughs> busy. Mark's a really good place to look at the life of Jesus and his prayer life. You know, Mark 1 verse 35, the desert place. He goes to the desert. Do you know what's happened the night before? He's been praying for people and people have been getting healed. And it said, and the whole town turned up. Interesting that, because if that happened in a church setting, we'd be like, woohoo, made it. Wouldn't, do you know what I mean? That's what we want, the whole town to turn up. And Jesus goes away and he prays. He goes to the desert place and he comes back and he says, it's time for us to go, guys. We need to move on. We're not to stay here. I wonder if the disciples thought, well, hang on a minute. Isn't this what it's all about? We're going to have loads of people here. And Jesus, no, this isn't what, because, because he lived in this communication with the father when you when you look at him in mark 6 he goes up on the mountaintop and prays what, what what's going on there well he's just fed the five thousand. so the crowd's behind him he's just about to walk on water the storm's in front of him in the middle he prays so i'm looking at our lord and i'm thinking he prays he talks he communicates he gets away he allows it to affect who he is it speaks to the father in times of breakthrough he prays. In times of busyness, he prays. In times of crisis in the garden, Mark 14, he prays. And sometimes I think when we get busy, I get busy, first thing I drop is my prayer life. But I've learned not to do that anymore because I'm the international director for 24-7 prayer. And it would just be really random if I stood up here and said, my prayer. We used to do that, actually, 24-7. We used to stand up and say, I don't know why I'm here. I'm not really very good at praying. Do you know what? Someone needs to stand up and go, I'm trying here, guys. I could always do a bit more, but we're learning a thing or two. We could always do a bit more. Pray more than is necessary. Pray more than is necessary. And so, so yeah, let's be these prayerful people, but let's be these involved people, let be the people who get involved. And this is what happens. This is, I'm going to end. I hope this hasn't been too waffly for you, by the way, guys. I hope it's helpful. Yeah? When I, I'm just, I get worried, you know what I mean? I've got like about, oh, and then what, here's a really weird thing. Just, can I throw in some randomness while we're at it? So obviously I went to prison, kind of like ended up working for church, all of that, went to Ibiza, not the best career path ever. Oh, but and before all that, I got expelled from college. I haven't got any qualifications. I, I, basically, I, do you ever have that thing where you're like, has anyone else ever had imposter syndrome? Where you just think, they're going to find me out in a minute. They're going to realise I'm a fraud. What happened to me a year ago was the Archbishop of Canterbury said, would you like to come and work at Lambeth Palace two days a week? So I also worked for the Archbishop of Canterbury at 
Lambeth Palace two days a week as, with an initiative called Thy Kingdom Come. So <laughs> you can understand from my friend Pete, Pete Gregg, he, he, he made me do a sermon from prison to palaces. <laughs> my son's joke, he said, be a good book, Dad. But isn't God good? Isn't, it, isn't he good? And uh, do, do you know what? After a week, you don't feel like you're working in a palace. You feel like you're working in a really old building with rubbish internet. Okay? <laughs> you just can't, you know what I mean? It bounces off the suits of armour and all sorts. It's a nightmare. Um, <laughs> we worked on this thing called Thy Kingdom Come. And the idea really is that we would call out to God for the Holy Spirit to fall, to inspire the church to greater works of evangelism. And on June the 4th this year, more people prayed in England than have prayed at any time since the Second World War that God's spirit would fall and that he would inspire the church to works of evangelism. I was in Nottingham, at Nottingham Trent Vineyard, and there were 250 Anglican churches that had all held a week of prayer prior to that event. That, you know, you got, I went to Norwich Cathedral and they did lighting candles. And I'm, I'm like, by the way, I'm a charismatic new church guy. Okay, but so there's all these candles and they tell me that over 600 churches are praying in Norfolk alone that God's spirit would fall and empower little old Anglican churches. All sorts of churches praying, calling out that God's spirit would fall to empower the church to greater works of evangelism. It's exciting times. It's really, really exciting. Do you know in Nottingham there was a report in the news that, that, they could hit, that two days into praying that God's spirit would fall, there was a report in the BBC News, you can check it out, there was a whooshing noise around the town. People phoned up the police station and said, I hear this whooshing noise. The policeman went, I can hear it too, but we don't know what it is. 250 churches praying and there's a whooshing noise going around the town. Does that not sound familiar? <laughs> Bishop, Bishop Paul, Bishop of Nottingham, he, he, he said, no, this is God. This is God. There's something, there is a fresh wind blowing throughout our nation. I've never seen the church pray like they're praying any other time. And we may feel that these are unsettled, difficult and challenging times. I do wonder, I just do wonder, if Brexit hadn't happened, if all this stuff with the Theresa May and all the politics stuff, and I'm not commenting on either of those, would we have just thought, nothing changes, life's the same, just keep plodding along. We'll plod along, you know, we're still in Europe, you know, political stability. I just do wonder if when we start to call out to God, to show up and to bring revival wherever he needs to shake the church out of its lethargy and out of its our comfort. Do you know what a church is growing fastest in the world right now? Iran. Interesting. It's not exactly the ideal comfort zone, is it? But that's what's growing the quickest right now, Iran. And so we're getting a little bit of turmoil and I'm thinking this is good. I'm, I don't necessarily, I'm not, to hear me, I'm not making a political comment, but I think this is good because we, if we just sit and it's all comfortable, then the church will remain comfortable. This should drive us. What's happening in our nation should drive us to our knees. And it is, it is, it is. And so as we pray, as we connect, as we speak to God, I believe this happens. We become more responsive, more responsive. When I was young, after my mum died, people would invite my dad around for meals. There'd be, I've got four brothers, four brothers. And they would, you know how it is, four, I've got, so five teenage boys rock up. And you're, the woman's like desperately, not just, well, normally it was in the 70s, it was a woman. And she was like, she was trying to like, extra sausages, more potatoes, 
just to kind of bulk up the Sunday lunch. Do you know what I mean? And, and we'd all be there and she'd be like, have you ever seen how much teenage boys eat? I've got two of them. I went out the other day, whole loaf of bread. Three hours I was gone, it went. I went Did you give that to the dog? No, we had some toast. You know, the, the secret is don't get uncut. Uncut's a nightmare. They don't know how to cut bread. They cut it like bricks. And it's like, anyway, sorry, I'll just get, I need to get it off my chest. So I'm getting thin sliced hovers from now on in. See if you can work your way through that, lads. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> so we're all around the table. And back then as well, they used to do this other interesting thing where they would put the cakes out in the middle of the table. Don't worry, I'm only going to be half an hour. I've got three minutes to do this story. And so they put the cakes in the middle of the table. And so there'd, there'd be sausages, extra potatoes, five boys, my dad, poor lady, freaking out. Look at them, they're like wolves. And my dad had a, my dad, there's a number of rules that we had. Number one was no troughing. We were always incredibly incentivized by the cakes in the middle. Because what would happen is, if you finished last, you'd get the worst cakes. They always did three levels of cakes. There was eclairs, something in the middle, and then like... Battenberg. Do you know what I mean? Something wrapped in demonic marzipan. Sort of thing when you go to hell, the devil's there. Fancy some Battenberg? And uh, we were... Sorry, if you... I did this in Germany, and this woman came up to me, and she made it. She was like, I was... She killed me afterwards. So there's these three levels of cakes, and the woman's giving you food, and I'm quite... I was a chubby lad, and my brother was skinny, and she would always give him more food than me, and I think, why giving him food? He doesn't eat food. I eat food. Give it to me, I'll make you happy. You know, there's always like, why are you trying to bulk him up? Look at the bulked up one. I'll make you think that, oh, my meal went down well. So all this would go on. And what we would do, I want the cakes. So we'd end up troughing. Do you ever do that trough? Basically, head down. And then, like, literally, I mean, you got centimetres away. So my dad had been like, no troughing. We weren't allowed to trough. So you had to get it in quick. Trough. So you get the cake. The other problem was, because Evan, my skinny brother, would get loads of food and I wouldn't get any, I think that was unfair. So when no one was looking, I would steal food from his plate. You ever stole food from your brothers and sisters' plates? So we'd, uh, but then that, that creates another problem. You're troughing, you're trying to finish quickly, but you've stolen extra food. So you, you, all these dilemmas as a small teenage boy. You've got too much food and you don't want to eat the Battenberg. And uh, do, you, do you know what I'm saying? It's like a nightmare. But you want the sausage and you've got too many choices. So you steal the sausage, you put it on, you try and trough. And, so that you, and, and then the other thing that happened, and you, uh, believe me, it was a turmoil. And, and then you'd work out, eventually there's another way. Get the cake that you want, take the cake, lick the cake, put it back. No, seriously. All your brothers, all your brothers would see that. You you know you've heard of name it and claim it? I'd lick it and claim it, okay? And so we licked the cake and claimed it. And there was this other secret brotherly rule we had. If an adult somehow finished first and they ate the cake, we said nothing. Just (laughs) fine. Just a bit of teenage spit, you know? And so... (laughs) So this is all, you imagine, my poor dad's got five boys, they're troughing, stealing food, licking cakes. It's just an absolute nightmare for him. So we'd get there, and I'd, I'd be like, right, yeah, sit next to Evan, he always gets too much, sit next to Evan. I'd go to reach for sausage, and my dad would go like this, and go, <clears throat> and go, oh, flip. And I'd take my hand away. My brother Paul, his head would somehow be navigating its way to basically, forget the knife and fork, I'm just getting in here. And he'd get down, and my dad would be, <clears throat> and he would lift his head up. And my brother John would be reaching out for some Battenberg, or an eclair probably. And my dad would go, <clears throat> and people around the room just thought that he had a bad cough. <laughs> but he was controlling the room with his cough. His little, <clears throat> <clears throat> 
And you know what? I knew it because it was my dad. I knew the intonation of his voice. I knew the sound. I knew what it meant. He didn't have to say much because he's my dad. I'd grown up with him and I knew a little... Ahem. So Peter and John, they go to Gate Beautiful. They've walked by that gate many, many times. But they've spent time with Jesus. They've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And they walk by that beggar and the Holy Spirit goes... Ahem. Ahem. And they turn and they look and they go, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give unto thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Because they'd spent time in God's presence. And so when we spend time in God's presence, we become attuned to the little ahems of the spirit. So that when we walk out into this world, we hear him going, ahem, stop and pray for that person. Ahem, give that person a prophecy. Ahem, share your wealth with this person. Ahem. And when we spend time in prayer, we start to hear the Father's little ahem. And that's what I'm desperate for. I want to hear the ahem of my Father. I want to be prompted and led by him in my everyday daily life. That is why I believe in prayer because the body of Jesus Christ is the body that he speaks to, that he talks to, that he prompts, that he leads. We just have to have our ears open. And you know how that happens? The more time we spend with him, the more attuned we become to his little promptings as we travel through life. And so my challenge for us as we pray 40 days of prayer is that we just learn to hear the Father's voice a little bit more clearly in order that we can bring his healing, his life, his love, his hope to others who need it. So can I pray? Father, I thank you for allowing me to be up here and waffle. And I pray that you will land it. And Holy Spirit, we are desperate to hear your voice. We're desperate to hear your voice for our sons and daughters who don't yet know you. For those that have walked away from you, we're desperate for that. God, we're desperate to hear your voice for our colleagues and for our friends and for our towns and for our streets. So come and speak to us. God, may we be known as a people who are in tune with you. May we be open to divine interruption. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.